You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Ah, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's another episode of Decoding the Unknown. That show on YouTube where people like Simon just started this channel, this podcast, because he wants that supernatural money. If that's the case, I've made a huge mistake, because mostly what we do on this channel is uh, we look at the supernatural and be like, well, that is clearly a load of nonsense. Little bit of inside baseball on this channel, which is an American phrase that I love, by the way. It means, like, uh, talk within the only people who within the organization or group get. And a little bit of inside baseball. Originally, I was going to call this channel, like, skeptic something skeptic that but then i decided that would turn too many people off because skeptic such a negative word uh so we went into coding the unknown which on the face of things makes it sound like this you know i mean decoding the unknown means like let's look into what's really going on so that was the thoughts behind it why are we talking about this is completely irrelevant uh, this is decoding the unknown what we're doing here is we're looking at the sydney quarantine station something a little bit different today uh david is the author of this script rather than our regular katie katie will be i've actually got another one from katie right here which uh, i'll be recording probably tomorrow actually probably tomorrow and uh, so david is guest authoring today david has done stuff with casual criminalists before he and i are also working on a secret project which will be launching in early 2022 i hope fingers crossed and uh he was like can i write something for decoding the unknown and it'll be a little bit weird and i was like david you're great just go ahead just write it for me and uh, so this is well he's described it as slightly unorthodox it's sort of a first-hand account of his experience and i'm like that sounds like something that i'd never done before sounds like honestly something i'd never do but david go for it man <laughs> have fun and we'll just see how it goes because you know decoding the unknowns and you there's not that many episodes yet and uh if there's ever a time to experiment it's with a channel that not very many people watch so let's just jump into it drunken ghost hunter city quarantine station thank you david b david baker davy b for putting this together let's go today's episode of decoding the unknown oh by the way i'm simon hello <laughs> i i some i sometimes forget to introduce myself it's slightly unorthodox it's a first hand account of a paranormal investigation conducted by two of the world's most unlikely investigators david and alexandra while staggering around one of the world's most haunted sites simon quite charitably has allowed me to write up the legendary story of our brave and intrepid efforts for you our loyal faithful kind intelligent and may i say rather handsome audience be warned however zach bagans we ain't who's zach bagans (laughs) Oh no. It's like with Danny on Brainblaze. He has so many cultural references that I just don't get. And David isn't even English, so I'm he's I'm sure he's got all these Australian cultural references about Barbies and shrimps and thongs, which is what Australians call flip-flops, which always shook me. Um the target also what does anyone else have this pro I know I'm sorry, we're on like seven hundred tangents already this episode. But does anyone else have this problem 
where your printer just decides that 93% is the correct format to print a script. So this was all size 11 Calibri, which I love. That's like the perfect reading size and font. But it's made it in like 93% of the maximum, which I just don't understand. And now it's all too small, but I'm not going to print out like another 400 pages of stuff in the right size. The Target, Sydney Quarantine Station, widely known as the most haunted place in Australia, mate. The challenge accepted. Sydney's infamous quarantine station operated for 152 years, from 1832 to 1984. Whoa. During that time, it was used to lock up over 13,000 travelers suspected of carrying disease into the country. In the days of sale, it sounds like they brought it, need to bring it back. <laughs> Is that, we're bringing back the quarantine station for COVID. 1832 to 1984, 2019 to, well, seemingly indefinite COVID. What the f***? In the days of sail and steamboat travel, the idea was to prevent shipborne illnesses from entering Australia by holding any infected ships and their passengers in an isolated location until the disease could run its course. This seems remarkably forward-thinking for, like, 1832. It's kind of depressing that that's the same sh** we're up to nearly 200 years later. I mean, plus vaccines and treatments and all of that stuff and way less horrible death. But it's like, if someone said, like, in 200 years, will we still have disease and stuff? I'd be like, nah, 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 we'll have banged that nail on the head easy. We'll be well done with that by then. No worries. Might. I'm going to stop with my bad Australian accent. I'm sorry, David, and all Australians listening. As a result, an estimated 570 to 581 people died horrible deaths there, riddled by everything from smallpox to cholera to tuberculosis to typhoid to bubonic plague to the Spanish flu to, oh my god, that's a lot of diseases. But it's kind of amazing that only 570 people died there. That seems really low for some place. That's like a three people a year or something. Three and a bit. That's not bad. With over 500 people dying agonizing deaths in the isolated wilderness in a strange new land surrounded by the sick beds of others, also moaning and crying helplessly in pain, it's no wonder that dozens of spirits felt compelled to stalk the grounds for all eternity. Sounds real. The quarantine station is located just off the entrance to Sydney Harbour in an area that is still heavily forested and separated by bushland from the residential dwellings and businesses of the nearby holiday suburb of Manly. The manliest place ever. Uh, the station is composed... This is a terrible joke, I'm so sorry. The station is composed of a small number of buildings, all of which are chock full to bursting with ghosts. Oh my! Oh, they're not though. If you tried to escape the compound, you'd face the ocean on one side and high cliffs on the other. And if you tried to make your way into Manly, a couple of kilometers of dense forest made impassable by thick brush filled with poisonous brown snakes and redback spiders confronted you. Australia, you're the worst. <laughs> like, Australia seems like, you know, really nice, like, chill. They all drink Fosters, have a good time, chill out on the beach. They do surfing. There's that big reef where people go diving. Sounds like great. It's super great. Except every animal there seems to just want to destroy your body. Many of the gravesites of the dead were knocked over as the years went by and new buildings were callously erected over the top of them and around them. Auxiliary graveyards still sit atop the cliffs of North Head, peering out into Sydney Harbour. The headstones are faded and chipped. The graves are overgrown with brush and signs are posted warning you of snakes should you decide to walk inside. Personally, I've never seen anything up there beyond a cute little etch etch. Echidna? Waddling around, digging for bugs. This must be some 
Australia's like this alien land to me. It's like, you got animals that I've never heard of. Plants just from my dreams. With all those graves, with all that suffering, countless reports of paranormal activity, sometimes quite violent and troubling, have been made over the years. The Ghost Hunters I first heard about the quarantine station years ago. When I heard about the title, Most Haunted Place in Australia, this immediately presented itself to me as a challenge. I wonder if, uh... So far, I, I get the feeling, just from my email extra, I've never talked to David. I never talked to any of my writers. I don't know if that, is that surprising to you guys? They all just send me scripts and I read them. Like, especially Danny, like on Brainblaze. Our communication is almost 95% through scripts which is crazy and the same for david but with my brief email correspondence or not so brief email correspondence with david um i get the feeling he's probably a skeptical dude uh but i don't know he could be i mean he's obviously not going to persuade me that ghosts are real because even if i saw a ghost myself i would not believe it was real until like science or nature or one of those big prestigious peer-reviewed journals is like ghosts eh (laughs) turns out they're a thing then i'll be like nailed it cool the paranormal just became normal uh but i think david's probably skeptical he's not gonna persuade me of anything and uh uh yeah yeah (laughs) this show this show sometimes it's like what is this show about it's a show about the paranormal hosted by someone who absolutely loathes that why did i make this show i'm so confused anyway i'm the sort of skeptic who was ah there we go that occasionally enjoys watching ghost hunting shows and paranormal documentaries while shouting perfectly reasonable and rational explanations loudly and obnoxiously at the screen david preach it is just that uh what's that what i i, I it's more for me it's just like clips on youtube from like ghost hunters or whatever that show is called and it's like our readings are doing up this and there's and it's just like a bunch of jump scares and bullshit and i'm like oh, it's it's entertaining it's entertaining just like other fictional shows you know like every it's just fiction okay stop it whistle boy carry on for some reason the slag jawed yokels and credulous idiots who decide to humiliate themselves on television for a bit of attention never seem to listen to me neither do the hucksterish badly dressed hosts with weird haircuts who obviously don't believe any of this shit while they deliver cliched and corny lines over a spooky royalty-free soundtrack unfortunately for my plans for years i had a girlfriend who kind of believed in ghosts and was too scared to ever go there with me i wasn't going to make her and so the matter rested for a time a few years later free and signal and ready to mingle with all manner of spooks and specters i decided to go and not just for a laugh i hatched an elaborate plan but more on that in a bit joining me was my friend and fellow ghost hunter alexandra who had been to the quarantine station before and had largely enjoyed herself like me she's a skeptic and she won't mind my saying that she is a somewhat cynical grumpy no-nonsense sort of person who's more likely to kick a poltergeist in the balls and call it a f**kwit than to run away screaming alexandra you sound like a legend yes in fact a veteran bushwalker surfer and spearfisher oh what <laughs> i'm not sure what a bushwalker is is that someone who just goes out for a walk in the bush but i do know what a, a spearfisher is that someone who legitimately goes swimming around underwater with a spear australia man what is up with you this is i mean i'm from the uk like you try to go spearfishing and you're looking around underwater it's like why is it so murky i can't see shit. like no spearfishing sounds awesome Oh my god my parents have like a a house by the beach 
and uh, it's like by the beach in the uk it's like nine months out of the year it's freezing ass cold and in the summer it gets a little bit warm and i remember as a kid my dad would go out to swim in the sea and i'd be like dad it's all rocky there's seaweed there's weird shit in there i don't want to swim in there it's so salty and then in the evening the tide would go out so so far it would be like you can't swim when the tide's out because it's like a half hour walk to get to the bloody sea <laughs> Oh, Australia, you land of beautiful oceans and spearfishing legends. She is ridiculously brave and brazen in the face of physical danger to the extent that it is difficult to tell who wears the pants in our ghost hunting partnership. Yo, 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 David, I hate to break it to you. But if anyone in, in any relationship is the, is, is f***ing spearfishing, mate, they're the ones wearing the pants. Uh, she's maybe a little rough around the edges and not very diplomatic, bless her. But that will come into play later. It should be said that both of us have received quite a considerable degree of academic and scientific training over the years, to a fairly experienced level. In yesteryear, we both conducted complex research involving disciplines as diverse as evolutionary biology, psychology, and a fair bit of physics. (laughs) Sounds like exactly the sort of people who will definitely not believe in ghosts. I I don't have an education in any science. Um, And I feel like if I did, I'd be even more like, why are we even talking about this? We weren't just curious of hooligans looking to laugh at some urban myths and popular superstitions. We had serious intentions. We had a plan. We're going to go into this with our eyes wide open, intending to deliver concrete results. There was even talk of publishing an academic journal. But nothing came of that. (laughs) David, are you slightly disappointed that your dreams of academic journal (laughs) turned out to be a strangely presented YouTube channel slash podcast several years later read by a British fact boy? I mean, uh, it's kind of fun though, isn't it? This is more fun than an academic journal. The plan. The pseudoscientific theories surrounding ghosts and poltergeists are, unsurprisingly, somewhat of an incoherent mess, a jumble of half-baked ideas and explanations. But one thing most of them seem to have in common is that ghosts are supposed to exist on a plane of existence parallel to ours. They are held there by strong emotions, usually surrounding the circumstances of their death or the suffering they experienced in life. These ghosts supposedly manifest themselves in our reality via the electromagnetic spectrum or via quantum physics. Both versions of this explanation are pseudoscientific gibberish. Yes, it's like, do you understand what the electromagnetic spectrum is? Because it exists in our dimension, not in other parallel... Were they talking about dimensions? Uh, What was it? Different planes. The electromagnetic spectrum exists in this plane. Regular-ass reality as does quantum physics. Ghosts are leftover signatures of human energy, capable of both movement and a certain degree of consciousness. Why the brain chemistry and perpetual firing of hundreds of billions of synapses, which are required to make human emotions and thoughts exist, would physically survive decades after the brain has rotted away into putrid mush, has never been adequately explained. Now, and if it had, we'd be having a very different conversation, wouldn't we, David? (laughs) We'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in 1972, they explained how ghosts uh, exist. And we'll be like, oh, good. Okay. (laughs) Nevertheless, like vinegar mixing with baking soda, these spirit-based energy signatures are highly reactive to the presence of living humans, though no one has really cared to explain why. At least beyond the fact that they are people and we are people. The same species. I guess that's why we don't see more ghosts of woolly mammoths and saber-toothed tigers roaming about, or the ghosts of a cockroach we crushed last Tuesday. But ghosts have a profound impact on living people, and we in turn have a profound impact on them. Probably because they're figments of our f***ing imagination. (laughs) That wasn't me. That was David. (laughs) 
It's like, yeah, ghosts do have a profound impact on people's lives. It affects their lives. Doesn't mean they're real. Harry Potter had a profound impact on my life. It was a very interesting book that I read. Actually, the impact wasn't that profound. I'm sure there are better books that have a a profound impact on my life. Harry Potter is not one of them, but they exist. It doesn't mean they're real. I mean, obviously the book's real, but wizards? Wizards aren't real. Some ghosts react to the living in benign and even pleasant ways. Other ghosts are a little creepy but largely indifferent to us. And some ghosts are quite malevolent, angry, and aggressive. Ghosts are also known to react differently to different people or to people with differing intentions. A ghost might calmly accept the presence of a human in one instance and may turn angry and foul to a person in another. It is on this generally vague chunk of theory that hinged our entire ghost hunting plan. We were simply playing by the rules of ghost hunters that we'd seen on television. And they could hardly all be wrong. <laughs> David, have you heard of the History Channel? I know it's sarcasm, but it's like, oh boy. Oh boy, History Channel, just because you made 11 seasons of Ancient Aliens. Is it called Ancient Aliens or Building the... Pir- Whatever that stupid show with the crazy hair guy is. Uh, doesn't just doesn't make it any more real. Our plan was twofold. Oh, by now, it's not gone live yet, but we did an episode of uh it, i mean it have gone live by the time you see this probably but i've already recorded an episode on did the, <laughs> did aliens build the pyramids it's the shortest one here it was like 17 minutes because the answer was like obviously f-ing not spoiler alert our plan was twofold phase one go to the quarantine station on a ghost tour and deliberately try to provoke a negative emotional reaction from the ghosts we'd do exactly the opposite of what we thought the particular ghost in question would want and improvise the sort of thing the ghost in question would definitely not want if a ghost didn't want us to enter a certain room or stand in a certain part of it we'd barge right in (laughs) you're gonna be like going around with some guide and the guy's gonna be like these kids what the you're ruining the door for everybody like a legend if a ghost was angry about the manner in which he had died we'd laugh mock and tell him to get over it if a shadowy apparition appeared right in front of us we'd try to punch it in the face in short we'd brave like total jerks towards the spirit world and yes i know this sounds mean that was the point in order to augment this obnoxious behavior we'd get a little pissed up with dinner before we went <laughs> legends all in the service of provoking the most extreme supernatural phenomena no casper the friendly ghost or oh my god a door just moved and i felt a little cold <laughs> none of that pissy ass bullshit was gonna be allowed here we wanted full-on demonic possession hellfire golems sadistic poltergeists flashes of the number 666 whisperings of get out upside down crucifixes chairs flying around and ceiling and blood pouring down the walls you know that kind of supernatural activity if you could handle it or if one of us died it would be in the name of science and the revolutionary breakthrough by definitively proving for the first time in history that yes ghosts and the afterlife exist such an earth-shattering revelation which would change humanity's outlook forever was surely worth one or two people dying for it especially if you find out there's an afterlife you'd be like oh okay totally worth it it's like you know that like you know most people don't i like the afterlife right no one's really sure i mean like people are like yeah yeah, god's real definitely believe in heaven gonna go to heaven and it's all right well if heaven's so great why haven't you killed yourself yet i know it's really dark to say and i don't want to be encouraging anyone to kill themselves obviously not because that would be insane but it's like if you're so a hundred hundred percent let's not go down this path of argument because it just sounds like i'm encouraging people to kill themselves which obviously i think is insane don't do that it's not real it's not real listen to that little bit of doubt in your mind 
Hell, it's not like we'd be losing much. We'd probably wind up as ghosts. If a ghost got angry and killed us while we were proving the existence of the afterlife, we'd at least have the afterlife to go to. Exactly. Hence, logically speaking, win or lose. We had nothing whatsoever to fear from the ghosts. Phase 2. After the initial ghost hunt, we'd regroup, list all the phenomena we encountered that night, and make a list of plausibly sane hypotheses for what we'd experienced. We'd then go back to the quarantine station again a few days or weeks later, sober and during the daytime, on a vanilla historical tour, and science the shit out of it, which I believe is the technical term. There were just a couple of direly needed ground rules first. We could never wander off alone. Human instincts, particularly in dark and unfamiliar surroundings, are more likely to set off alarm bells and start shooting adrenaline into our own system when we're alone than when we're when with other people. We did not want to go the whole night imagining things were happening when really we were just startled by accidentally kicking an empty water bottle on the ground or seeing the shadow of a tree branch on a wall. It is no good walking into a situation where your guide says you might experience a haunting with your mammalian instincts already on high alert. This was also the more practical reason for the booze. Ah, yes. Practical reasons for booze. <laughs> Any excuse, eh, David? Not criticizing. It's completely legit. A numbing effect to the natural creepiness of old buildings in the cloak of nightfall. And probably to numb a sense of growing frustration at some of the sheer bull we'd likely to encounter on the tour. Two, we were not to announce our intentions to anyone. We were not to ruin the ghost tour for any other paying customers by either our statements or behavior. <laughs> when you're like trying to punch ghosts in the face, though, it sounds like you're going to be ruining the tour for someone else. What are you doing? Trying to punch a ghost in the face. Are you drunk? No! We were not to harass the tour guide by peppering him with difficult questions or skeptical arguments. The poor bugger was just earning a wage. We were to keep it all to ourselves, and as an extension of that, we cannot do anything so obnoxious or horrible to antagonize a ghost that it would get us noticed and thrown off the tour, or worse, banned from ever returning to the quarantine station, since obviously that would have the opposite effect than we intended and would ruin all of our efforts. The only people we wanted to act like assholes toward were the ghosts, and because we were pretty sure ghosts didn't exist at all, our conscience was clear. That, in a nutshell, was our plan. Phase 1 at this point in the show, I want to issue a disclaimer before we continue shitting on the existence of ghosts and delusional nonsense about the paranormal, primarily because I feel bad about what we did. The Sydney Quarantine sta Station, now renamed Q Station, sounds like a Q Station makes it sound like something from a James Bond movie like Q, where he's making all his gadgets and shit, which sadly, not so much in the new James Bond movies. Like, I love the new James Bond movies, but the ones with Piers Brosnan, when he was like lasering shit with his watch and his car was invisible, I was like, yeah, it's ridiculous. But it's also cool. <laughs> After it was renovated, declared a heritage site, and turned into a hotel, is a lovely place. Wait, it became a hotel? Okay. It has a rich, vibrant history dating back to the earliest moments of the Australian nation. For example, many of the inmates of the quarantine station for a hundred years etched their names and the name of their ship into the sandstone cliffs near the entrance to the place. Each one of these etchings has its own fascinating story. Many of them are explored in an excellent book, Stories from the Sandstone, by Hobbins, Frederick, and Clark. They also don't give a damn about ghosts. Q Station also sits in a lovely 
friendly, sun-kissed spot away from the bustle of the city, and there's a lot of good bushwalking, swimming, fishing, and boating to be had. It also is right next to the small gap of Sydney Harbour, where 23 million years ago, the ocean waters finally eroded their way through the sandstone cliffs and burst into the valleys that now form the basin of the harbour. Q Station boasts stunning views of Sydney, a nice restaurant that even locals visit, and a tea room where you can have high tea or a fancy gin cocktail. David, this sounds really awesome. I feel like in a minute you're going to be like, don't forget to visit my website. It's my hotel. (laughs) No, but uh, this sounds really nice. I have spent many a happy afternoon there. Even the ghost tours are a spot of good fun, and they do a good job building up a spooky atmosphere, which never crosses the line into being utterly cheesy. This sounds great. Like, I don't believe in any of this stuff, as we already know. But I'd definitely do that, and I'd just hold my tongue and enjoy the tour, and then I'd go have a few gin cocktails. Maybe I'll do them before the tour. But I know, unlike David, I'll just be like, I'll have a couple of gin cocktails and I'll be like, yeah, 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 we could do that ghost tour. We could. We could. Or I could just continue sitting in this really comfortable chair and just looking out at the sea. (laughs) That sounds really good. That sounds really good. How about I just enjoy this moment of not working and a mild buzz from a cup of gin. That sounds brilliant. There, my guilty conscience is soothed. Now, on to kicking the veritable ectoplasm out of some ghosts. We took an Uber from Manly up the steep hill along the old military road to the gates of the quarantine station. The old sandstone archway at the camp greeted us. From here, our car could go no further. We sauntered over to a bench and waited for the next shuttle to take us down the hill to the station proper. Two other people were waiting there. A man looked at us and did a double take. A woman openly gaped. Since our tour was to take place in the evening, Alex and I decided to make an event out of it. We decided to have a fancy dinner down in the town first. As such, we were dressed to the nines. I was wearing a black three-piece suit with a red tie. (laughs) You're in a fancy-ass restaurant, David. Alex, very uncharacteristically for her, was in a red sequined evening dress. I remember feeling a little embarrassed. We were horribly overdressed. Everyone else we saw that evening was dressed in casual clothing. Yeah, as you would expect on a ghost tour. I'd be like, all right, I'm just going to take this tie off and slowly slide it into my inside pocket and hope that no one no, no, else no, no one notices the waistcoat, the jacket, the shiny shoes. <laughs> Alex has more problems. But there's no accounting for taste. We didn't want to squeeze every drop of enjoyment out of this particular stone. And after a few glasses of wine, we ceased to care. The shuttle took us to the bottom of the hill to Wharf Precinct, where the beach and docks were. Passengers were infected ships were dropped off here for their long isolation. We potted over to the restaurant, which is housed in the old boiler room, a brick building with giant imposing with a giant imposing smokestack. In days of plague, it fed steam into the sterilization chambers that killed off bacteria and viruses on people's luggage, and to the laundry room, where people's clothes were similarly blasted clean. I feel like, you know, I'm always like, the past was the worst. It's always good to be alive now because people just didn't understand, like, death and disease and stuff. And I'm like, this seems pretty advanced for, like, some 19th century, like, steaming shit. It's, like, kind of impressive. Like, that's kind of... Again, why aren't we further ahead with this stuff? I recently got a UV sterilizer because uh, I got two two young children and they have pacifiers, dummies, as we call them in the UK. And uh, they got to go in this, like, steam thing. It steams the shit out of them to make them, like, sterile. And I was like, there's got to be a better way to do this. So there's UV ones, which take, like, a minute. You just put them in there. There's no boiling water and stuff. But it's amazing that we were steaming germs in the 19th century and we're still steaming germs in the 21st. What's going on, science? <laughs> the boiler room was fully renovated into a two-story restaurant and we were led to a table on the second floor. 
It was here that we experienced our first supernatural event. I had tucked into an appetizer of scallops with a glass of Prosecco, followed by a hefty chunk of lamb washed down with liberal amounts of Merlot. Alex says she had a portobello mushroom, followed by a steak. The room was filled with... (laughs) I love how you're drinking Prosecco and Alex is having a steak after doing some spearfishing, David. Are you still wondering about those trousers, huh? The room was filled with middle-aged holidaymakers, a bachelorette party, and what looked like office pencil pushers at a corporate retreat. At one point during our meal, Alex suddenly shivered and said, Don't sh** yourself, Davey, but I just felt like someone touched the back of my f***ing neck. <laughs> they turned around, it was the waiter being a bit weird. to be like, what are you up to? As insignificant as this may seem, many people at Q Station, and in haunted places generally, report the feeling of being touched by human hands on their legs, back, and neck. Just as well, we start light with our decoding. <laughs> the first thing to consider is front-loading. You already know you're in a place that contains ghosts. The idea is already planted in your mind, even if you don't believe in the damn things. Yeah, okay, I didn't know that was called front-loading, but this absolutely 100% makes sense. Because it's like, I don't believe in ghosts. I know there's no murderer in the attic but i'm still like if i'm alone and it's like 11 o'clock at night and it's fully dark and i'm just in the middle of nowhere i'm gonna be like oh boy oh boy i know ghosts aren't real and i know there's probably not murderers but what if they are and there are (laughs) if you were buying condoms in a drugstore and you felt something brush the back of your neck your thoughts would probably not be an immediate jump to ghosts. But if you're already primed and ready to think in those terms, your mind is more ready to play tricks on you. Again, even if you do not believe in ghosts. Seconds, it was evening. The sun had gone down. The temperature was dropping. Alex was sitting there in an evening dress with legs, back, and shoulder exposed. Furthermore, in Australia, the AC is always left on too long and too cold in public buildings. It's because Australia's hot. <laughs> And because Australia is usually so warm, we seem incapable of properly heating them. Some places are like living in a shed. Drafts from the restaurant doorway. The circulation of cold air around the room could easily stimulate the hair follicles on the back of Alex's neck. Yeah, David, you know what else could? Ghosts! These hair follicles, by the way, which cover most of our sensitive areas of the human body, are evolutionarily designed to pick up sensations that could potentially be dangerous, like a spider, malarial mosquito, or paralysis tick. Oh my god, Australia is the worst. Do you have malaria and paralysis ticks in Australia? And, like, the worst thing here, there's that tick-borne encephalitis, that disease that makes your brain a bit stupid if you get it badly, that kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, that's horrible. So I got a vaccine against that. And then there's the other one. There's like two tick diseases. And they're like, there's no spiders. There's nothing like that. I'm just like, okay. And the ticks, you, they have to be in your body for like 48 hours. So it's like if you're going out in the forest, just make sure afterwards there's no ticks ticks on you. And you're fine. Whereas in Australia, it's like, I feel like I've been murdered by, I've been murdered by like seven spiders if I go there. I once was visiting my aunt. Lives out in Atlanta. And I just wake up one morning with a massive, like, eye. Like, just one side of my face, just above my eye, is super swollen. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> and my aunt's like, ah, it was like a penny spider or a money spider or something. Mom was just like, yeah, it's normal. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, there's a, my eye is massively swollen. And she's like, it'll go down. And I'm like, this is the worst. I just imagine Australia's like South America, uh, Southern United States, like on steroids. I still want to go. It's really far. I'd still go. 
I've never been. Weird. So it's not such a massive stretch of the imagination to figure out that a wisp of cool air would stimulate the follicles on Alex's neck, leading her front-loading brain to amusingly think, what if it was actually a ghost? Did a creepy pervert die in the boiler room? When we returned to the Boiler Room restaurant a few weeks later during the day, me wearing my usual t-shirt and shorts and Alex in a tank top and leggings, both of us with plenty of exposed skin, we both noticed the exact same sensation from the AC, so next time you feel a ghost touching your neck, remember, it was probably just a spoonful of the Earth's atmosphere. Air exists. I promise you that. Dial M for Malow Our ghost hunting then hit our first real obstacle we had sat down for dinner at 6 p.m our ghost tour began at 9 p.m we had three hours to wait within the first 90 minutes we had worked our way through dinner and then slurped up whatever we had for dessert neither of us for the life of us can remember what we had so playing for time generally enjoying the conversation and slow descent into madness and with the object of being only slightly sourced for the actual tour we shared a bit of wine all told we went through about two and a half bottles between us holy we hadn't put on we hadn't put too much of a dent in the third bottle thank god before it was nearly 9 p.m and time to go that's roughly 1000 milliliters and nine to ten standard drinks apiece to be clear both of us are quite thin and make for pretty cheap dates i shudder at what our blood alcohol content must have been thank god we had both eaten a heavy meal yeah i mean i mean i'm a drinker i drink i'm also pretty thin but after a bottle of wine i'll be pretty sloshed the volume of our table got louder the use of expletives more frequent grandiose claims and bullish self-confidence approached megalomaniacal levels eyes bloodshot our teeth were gradually more stained red with wine tannins as the evening progressed oh my god you guys are getting smashed we swished with a bit of water to little avail as alex puts it when your teeth start to match the color of your lipstick you should probably stop <laughs> yes we were thoroughly and utterly pissed sozzled squiffy blottoed couldn't find our ass with both hands riding the pink elephant that must be an australian one i've never heard that uh drunk as a hobo's fart we had not yet lapsed into total incoherence neither of us had pissed ourselves <laughs> we were still i don't think i, I i've i i'm I don't, I don't think i need to be proud i've never pissed myself when drunk i've thrown up many times i've even thrown up in my bed but i've never wet myself <laughs> in bed or outside of it whereas i know some people that's definitely definitely friends of mine i've known who it's like you're pretty drunk like we'd get about the same level of drunk and they'd be like yeah definitely wet myself and i'll be like not whistle boy i just threw up in my bed <laughs> I don't know. I'm not proud of this. I don't know why I'm saying this like it's a good thing. Don't drink. It's not good. It's like, I, I just don't. It's not worth it. We were still able, uh, we were still capable of maintaining some sense of social instinct and good decorum as we headed out of the door and marched toward the ticket area to wait for our tour to begin. Despite everything, the game was afoot. The Gas Chamber. Our tour group consisted of about 15 people. The tour guide, who professed an unshakable faith in the existence of ghosts, whether this was genuine or paid, was unknown. He led us down to the docks to begin the tour. I was already beginning to feel drowsy. A bad sign. Alex pulled on her jacket. Yeah, David, you're having that regret, you know. In this situation, I would never have gone on that ghost tour. I'd be like, yo, Alex, can we just go home? Please, let's call an Uber. I'm just, I don't want to anymore. Or can we just go to, let's have another bottle of wine. We're already so let's just drink some more. Do we have to go on the ghost tour? They're not going to have booze on the ghost tour. And I'm probably going to start feeling a bit hungover halfway through. 
It would never happen. The tour guide asked the group by show of hands who among us believed in ghosts. A few people put up their hands. The guides then asked who among us definitely did not believe in ghosts. Alex and I kept our hands firmly down by our sides. The guide had used a rather clever tactic. At the start of the tour, he'd take note of the easy marks among the crowds and also flag up the hardened skeptics who were likely to make his job difficult and give him a hard time. But Alex and I had no intention of giving the guide a hard time or spoiling the fun for anybody. We were on a secret mission for science for glory. While still on the docks, the guide mentioned the existence of two specters called the Lovers. A first-class passenger, Lady Margaret, who had an affair with a young Italian immigrant. Witnesses had seen them walking along the beach dressed in late 19th century garb arm in arm. What was more unusual is occasionally they were seen rising from the water itself. It should be mentioned, however, that the lighting on the docks is fairly dim on the water and on the beach it's almost non-existent. The water is generally black at night. I doubt you could even see a real human being swimming in it. Yeah, I, I don't know why I'm bringing this up right now, but water at night is scary. Like the sea is super black. And I've been swimming at night a few times in the sea. And it's always like, ah, oh, this is supposed to be romantic, but I'm just afraid. Can we go inside? I've had two bottles of wine. <laughs> I'm gonna drown. Lighting was not particularly bright anywhere in the wharf district, probably intentionally. And remember that the entire quarantine station is a couple of kilometers from the bright lights of Manly. A shortage of artificial lighting surrounded by a stretch of dark, snake-infested forest. Essentially, a person could make out hazy shapes and see whatever they wanted to see. If they wanted to see a couple of amorous ghosts, they would see them. From there, we were led across the square towards a couple of run-down-looking sheds. The guide mentioned another spectre, a young girl aged around 14 or 15, who liked to run up to people and strangle them. People would have difficulty breathing and would later find red finger marks around their necks. Again front-loading. If you have already been told about a young teenage strangler, you're more likely to get strangled by her. Second, if you're susceptible to ghost nonsense, you're more likely to be anxious, to panic, and to hyperventilate, thus achieving a vague simulacrum, sim simulacrum that word is always hard to say, of choking. Finally, I sincerely doubt anyone had clear hand marks on their necks. I've seen those bruises in autopsy photos. They are distinct and dark. More likely you are willfully misconstruing harmless inflammation, temporary discoloration, clogged pores, or a hickey your boyfriend gave you last night than the mark of another worldly land. Meanwhile, in the back of the group, Alex muttered to me savagely, if the little bitch tried out me, she'd be in for a punt in the... <laughs> in the C word. I don't like that swear word. It's so savage. Like, all oh, no problems, like... F's and S's and D's, but the C word always feels like so. I, I think it's like maybe different in Britain. I don't know how it is in Australia. Are you just going around calling each other C words all the time? In Britain, I'm like, that's heavy. That's some heavy, bro. You save that. You keep that in your pocket for when you really need it. I tried to stop bursting out laughing. A few people looked over. We were ushered inside one of the compartments of the shed. It was dark inside, except for the dim illumination of the outside street lamps. There were there, the guide instructed us to guess what the room was for, and to think about it for a few seconds while she left us there. The guide promptly shut the door, and 15 people were engulfed in total darkness. Meanwhile, Alex and I had immediately gone to one of the corners and pressed our bags against the wall to avoid any cheap trickery. A girl let out a blood-curdling scream. Her boyfriend had obviously impersonated a ghost with a roving hand. <laughs> Again, all of this was a tour tactic. Leave us locked in a pitch-rack room to get us on edge. 
The guide opened the door. He explained that the shed was a gas chamber. Up to 50 people at a time were locked in here to kill off any parasites that were crawling in their hair or on their bodies. The Disappearing Girl We proceeded to the luggage sterilization chamber adjacent to the boiler room. Within was a fairly dirty concrete floor. Some old rickety shelves nailed together about a century ago and some stairs leading down to a couple of enormous doors with giant wheels on them that functioned as spinning locks damn okay <laughs> like an old-fashioned bang vault the doors themselves looked like something out of 90s that 1930s science fiction there was a library that i used to go to before i had like my own office and shit like where i just go sometimes when i just needed not to work at home and uh, it was in an old bank so they're taking this like awesome i think it was because of the communists like the communists had taken this giant bank with all this crazy marble everywhere and statues and and all of this stuff and they turned it into like a, a library and it was really awesome <laughs> and in the back the reason this is relevant is like where they kept all the index cards like in the past obviously now it's all electronic you could it was the bank vault so and they left all this giant door and stuff in there so it's this huge like bank vault room with this giant door and super thick walls that you could just wander around and i was like this is pretty cool but an irrelevant story so let's just carry on they were unbelievably thick in the dark they looked quite sinister the purpose of this room however was quite innocent people's stuff would be piled in here blasted clean from every micro but then put on a small trolley track up the hill where the luggage would be stored the inmates particularly outside of first class would have limited access to most of their clothing and stuff for weeks all this oppressive trouble and here i was grumbling about wearing a mask on a plane yeah but i mean I, I, i'm not some anti-mask person that obviously masks do help not spread covid around and, and all of that shit. but it does suck like i'm like i've got a big beard i've got a big face to be honest so most of the masks are quite tight on my face i re- i was wearing like these masks that my wife kept buying and they were really like uncomfortable and then she discovered that they make large size masks and i'm like oh my god <laughs> i've been living in just abominable conditions <laughs> and then i discovered large masks and i was like oh my god my ears are no longer being brought towards my face my whole yeah it was just it was wonderful experience as we sat on the filthy concrete stairs in front of the doors both alex and i were too drunk to care about the dust on our nice clothes the guy told us about the disappearing girl a specter who would join tour groups and walk around with them there were numerous reports where people would spot the ghost think they were a normal person and then several minutes later they'd notice that they couldn't see the girl in the crowd she had dematerialized into thin air oh my god it sounds so real or she'd simply bug it off to the toilet or they didn't see the total stranger again because they were standing behind other people in the dark yes alex and i didn't need to come back another day to figure this one out a tour group of 15 and at least half of them were total strangers to each other and you're saying that you think you see a stranger in the dark at one moment and then you don't recognize her amongst the group again say it ain't so what is perhaps more interesting is why you would take note of a total stranger in a large group of people in the first place to even notice their absence a few minutes later perhaps if you were an excitable believer in the afterlife front loaded with the story of the disappearing girl perhaps yes maybe that's it david <laughs> maybe and by maybe i mean obviously or maybe it is ghosts or maybe you just thought she was really hot and wanted to ogle her later again either way she probably wasn't a ghost a third possibility is the staff actually join tour groups as so-called ghosts periodically and then slip away to freak people out but i didn't detect anything that elaborate at the time i don't think they would do that because it kind of then it's like 
if they get caught doing that and it's like, hey, you, you're not in this group. You're a tour guide. I've been here, but then it's like busted and it's like, oh, okay. So they're faking the ghosts. Whereas if they just use like psychological tricks and stuff, then there's like plausible deniability. It's like, they're not the ones making up ghosts. It's people's imaginations making up ghosts. Or maybe it's ghosts. Ah, ah. The Acid Showers and Shadow Man. From there, the guide led us up a few more yards to the building that housed the mass showers. It was here that new arrivals had to strip down naked, hop onto one of these cold steel showers, and scrub themselves thoroughly to get rid of any parasites or surface-level infections that they might be carrying on their persons. But after your shower, you didn't exactly dry yourself off. Instead, the water mixed with carbolic acid sat on your skin. Oh my god. I'm assuming it's not particularly strong carbolic acid. I'm not even sure what carbolic acid is, but that still doesn't sound awesome. Over the course of the next few days, you would turn red, itchy, and the top two layers of your skin would gradually peel off. It was like being sunburned all over, including on your scalp and genitalia. Oh my god. (laughs) There's a big difference between scalp and genitalia. Number of times I've been burned on my scalp. Well, look, I'm a very, very bald man. The answer is many, and I pretty much always wear a hat now. Um, Burnt on my genitalia? Never. And never want to. Like, I can't imagine having a sunburned penis. That sounds horrible. I will admit that the shower building looked like something out of a horror film. Chipped early 20th century tiles you'd see in a creepy, derelict, insane asylum. Walls made of rusted, corrugated iron on each shower in rows and rows of them. Dozens, stretching on and on into the darkness of the building, lit only by the small windows at each end and the flashlights of the tour group. Yeah, there is something spooky, like inherently spooky about, like, derelict showers right it's just like as i don't know it's just creepy i think maybe it's because you know we're vulnerable in the shower like there's lots of murder scenes in movies like famously psycho and all of this stuff that happened like when people are in showers because it's like you're naked you're slippery <laughs> there's no weapons nearby it's like oh yeah no, you're screwed you're gonna try grabbing onto a knife and it just slips out of your hands while you're getting stabbed by a murderer yeah that's probably why isn't it that's why showers are creepy because it's where we're vulnerable like in prison. The building was too long for a single flashlight to light it from end to end. Cavernous shadows yawned onward into oblivion between the rows of acid showers. It was genuinely creepy and reminded me of something you'd see in a, uh, you'd see in a concentration camp. Perhaps it was the fact newly arrived travelers were tamely led here to have their skin burned off. Perhaps unsurprisingly, it was in this location that the tour group really started to get jumpy. While filming the shower, someone's camera turned off suddenly while while the phone is still on full battery. I guess a ghost was a bit shy of being filmed in the nude. A few people reported feeling a sudden coldness wash over them, as if a spirit had just passed by. Yet another person reported having a metallic taste in their mouth, which the guide speculated was consistent with the taste of blood. Yeah, it's like if I got a metallic taste in my mouth, I'm like, well... I know what blood tastes like. I've tasted blood many times. Not because I'm a weirdo, but it's like, oh, I cut myself. You know, you just lick that blood up. Which is a weird thing to do, isn't it? I can't be the only one who does that. Or when you bite your mouth really badly and it bleeds. You're like, I know what blood tastes like. I know what... I know... I'm extremely familiar with the taste of human blood. (laughs) No, it's the only time you could say that sentence. Um, Yeah, and then you're like, well, it's not that. And it's just in your mind. It's definitely in your minds. And if you're constantly tasting weird things that you're not tasting, go get a scan. Go see the doctor. 
So it could be a brain tumor or some shit. I think I saw that on our TV show. When Alex and I returned to the showers during the daytime a few weeks later during phase two, we discreetly took a few swab samples of dust when the historical guide wasn't looking. A simple chemical test revealed that within the dust there was plenty of iron and rust particles, most likely chipped off from the decaying shower stalls that lined the entire building. Well, guys, you are like going above and beyond on your little research adventure. Um, yeah, I was just like, oh, the metallic taste, it's in, it's in the mind. It's in the mind. But no, little iron particles in the air. That sounds dangerous. <laughs> I'm not going there. It's like iron particles. It sounds like, you know, it's going to cause that asbestos disease. Such dust could easily be agitated and swirled into the air by people walking around the showers and could easily have been inhaled or ingested by a person who would then report a metallic taste. But it wasn't blood. If anything, it pointed to how the air in the building was mildly unhealthy because of the particles in it. But one can inhale worse chemicals when wandering through an old building, and it's unlikely it did the bloke on the tour any lasting harm. Yeah, like asbestos. That mes- mesothelioma disease is crazy. It's like, I, there was an episode of House about it, and a friend of mine's dad actually died of it. And it's just, you go to the doctor and you're like, oh yeah, I've got a bit of a cough. And like, yeah, you'll be dead in a year. It's like, oh my God, that is so intense. Because it's just, that's it, you know. People don't survive it for like very long at all, and it's like I, I don't know, it's obviously not 100% fatal or whatever, but it's like it's like a tumor around your lungs in the lining of your lungs from getting asbestos particles in there when you were a kid or like younger. And I'm like, that's intense. And I'm like, I hope I haven't been around any asbestos. I think I'm a bit young for it to be honest, but really intense disease. You don't want that. Waiting on a tax return. Hopefully, it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Also during phase two, we took a portable thermometer to inv- uh, Yep, sorry. (laughs) I'm like, is that thermometer? (laughs) Can you even read, fact boy? To investigate the flashes of cold that were frequently reported in the building. It was 24 degrees Celsius outside that day, or 75.2 degrees Fahrenheit, and within the building, the temperature varied between 21 and 18 degrees Celsius, or 69.8 to 64.4 degrees Fahrenheit. The construction of the building should be noted. There was very little opportunity for sunlight to enter the building during the day. The building itself was not built to retain heat, like many buildings in Australia. Wait, why would buildings be built to maintain heat? retain heat in australia that sounds like a terror isn't australia super hot be like i want a building that gets rid of heat i want terrible insulation although i guess you insulate like air conditioning inside as well right so i guess okay okay uh, i'm i'm getting it. i'm just a bit dumb okay i'm just not the smartest man around so when it was in use the showers did not become a sauna on really hot subtropical days the building was old not meant for living in even at the time of operation and thus had worse drafts than even the boiler room restaurant but it was the rows and rows of little metal cloisters each with a drain pipe through which a blast of cold air could rush upward that caused the most discrepancies in the building so it is indeed likely that it wasn't just the night or people's paranoia they were quite likely experiencing sudden slight drops in temperature as they walked around it just wasn't from ghosts (laughs) 
as for the camera suddenly turning off without being able to look at that smartphone specifically to see what its screensaver and lock screen settings were or whether there was a malfunctioning battery or to see how incompetent the person using it was operating a smartphone we'll just have to chalk that up to user error on the part of the living or just the phone being a bit weird it's technology it crashes all the time Actually, phones are fairly reliable. I find my phone doesn't crash very often. In fact, it just seems to crash way less often than it used to in the past. But look, technology's not perfect. And uh, yeah, it was that. Because you know what? There's lots of technology repair places, uh, technical support. There's very little, you know, ghost support. Like, oh yeah, yeah, my phone stopped working because of ghosts. Uh... <laughs> The alternate explanation is a ghost could somehow operate a piece of 21st century technology better than that bloke could. And if that's the best evidence we have for ghosts, I think both Alex and I can live with that. Yes, me too. It is one of those cases of confirmation bias. If your electronic equipment messes up during a ghost hunt, then it must be spooks responsible for it through the electromagnetic spectrum. Yet if your computer were to crash or your TV were to suddenly lose power in normal life, it's unlikely you would blame it on ghosts electronic things mess up all the time thank you yes 100% agree and 100% of the time there is a mechanical explanation for it it's only when it happens in a dark room with scooby-doo vibes that it sends us into hysterics and <laughs> next time i'm just like working you know using adobe premiere or something and it crashes i'll be like nah not the ghosts again <laughs> god damn it it was at this point the ghosts themselves began to appear <laughs> This took a turn. And that's when I started to believe in ghosts. Not really, David didn't write that. The tour guide told us about a girl who can sometimes be heard crying in one of the shower stalls. Unsurprisingly, a few minutes later, a woman on the tour said she could faintly hear the sound of a girl crying. To this, Alex merely whispered into a nearby shower stall that the ghost should pull herself together and shouldn't hang around the showers all day, but should get her fat, weeping ass into her swimmers and get to suntanning on the beach. <laughs> Savage Alex. As an afterthought, she added that today people pay hundreds of dollars to come here and do that and to stop being such a mopey idiot. The ghost did not respond. Shocking. The tour guide then told us about Shadow Man, a seven-foot-tall spectre that only appeared as a black fa phantasm. Phantasm? Phantasm? I don't know. I don't care. I'm not going to look up this word because, let's be fair, I don't look up that many words anyway. And also, it's a made-up phantom word. I mean, all words are made up, but this one particularly so. And it was, at times, quite malevolent. Ghost hunters had previously talked to the ghost via a spirit box and had determined that Shadow Man was an ugly ghost disfigured by smallpox, and that is why he never shows his true form. Shortly after hearing this story, a girl screamed quite loudly and, loudly and said that she'd seen Shadow Man lurking around one of the showers. Not missing a beat, Alex said. Well, let's go find the bastard. <laughs> and she swiftly charged off in the direction that the spectre had been reported in. A few people from the ghost store merrily followed us, while the more timid and impressionable folks remained behind near the exit. They'd be like, yeah, I'll go over there. <laughs> oh no, the ghosty smallpox guy, what's he gonna do? Give me smallpox, he's a ghost and he's not real. Also, Shadow Man was nowhere to be found. It should be mentioned at this point that some ghost enthusiasts will say that if you don't believe in ghosts or are otherwise spiritually closed off like Alex and I almost certainly were, that the ghosts will not appear to you. I hope most of us can agree that this is some Santa Claus level bullshit right here. Conveniently, the only sort of person who sees ghosts is either someone who believes in ghosts or is easily startled in dark, foreboding places. And on what information are people basing this claim? Wishful thinking? 
And if that was the case, if homeowners want to avoid the nuisance of living in haunted houses, all they have to do is stop believing in ghosts and they'll stop appearing to them. What circular nonsense it is. Indeed, I saw an amazing picture. It was a it was a real picture. I don't think it was a joke of a house being sold somewhere in America, like somewhere, I don't know, maybe like Salem or something like that. And there was the sign, it said, you know, they hang out and it says like for sale. And then underneath there was another sign attached to it that said not haunted. It's like, oh my god. I'd like to buy a house in that town. Because I'd just buy the haunted ones. I'd just be like, yeah, yeah, this is haunted, right? I'm gonna need like at least twenty percent off because of the haunting thing. And they'll be like, oof. Yeah, I guess we can do that because it's haunted. And I'll be like, <laughs> amazing. And then I'll move in and obviously there won't be any ghosts in there because they're not real. <laughs> Alex and I took note of how the lines of showers could potentially refract and restrict light through the building. Indeed, during the night, you could easily see without the aid of a flashlight just from the dim lighting from the windows. It wasn't pitch black and there was a moderate amount of visibility to walk around without tripping over stuff. Otherwise, with all those hard corners and tiles that have a massive lawsuit on their hands. This all changed when you turned on a flashlight. Suddenly, you had clear visibility immediately in front of you, and darkness lay beyond. In the pictures of Shadow Man posted online, the light of a flashlight ends and the yawning chasm of darkness begins just as you would expect to in any shadow. It just so happens that these shadows can take on a vaguely anthropomorphic shape. Again, if you've just been front-loaded with a story about Shadow Man, conveniently the same height as the showers, roughly speaking, it is hardly surprising you would imagine seeing something sinister. Yeah, this is one of those things, it's like, you know, why are we so good at... Humans are amazing at spotting patterns. Like, you look at the clouds, it's like, this looks like a that, this looks like a this. And it's like, obviously it doesn't, you know, they're not really this item. But it is crazy how easy it is for us to, like, spot things in random patterns. And that is exactly what's going on here. A merry jaunt to the morgue. From the acid showers, we had quite a hike to our next ghostly location. Alex swore loudly at her uncomfortable shoes, stopped furiously, kicked them off, and pulled on a pair of thongs from her purse. Oh, ah, yeah, the Australians and their thongs. Alex is not changing her underwear. <laughs> That's what I, British is this just a British thing? But a thong is uh, an under is underwear in a, a women's underwear in British English at least. But the Australians, that's flip flops, mate, or plastic pool sandals for those not from Australia. The national footwear of our country <laughs> is that isn't that is that actually like a thing, or is that like Foster's is the national beer of Australia, or are you all actually walking around in flip flops? Flip flops are stupid. I'm sorry, Australians. They're a bit stupid because they're like sandals, except they don't have the thing on the back, which, so every step you take, you're like constantly like uh, gripping your toes to keep the shoes like, and you know, they make that slapping sound because you're using your toes to keep them on your feet. It's like, why not just have the back thing? Why not just have a pair of sandals? Or why not just wear shoes? (laughs) I remember I was reading a, a style blog once and something really stuck with me. They were like, the only place that is acceptable to wear sandals or flip-flops is when you're literally on the beach. Any other time, wear something else. (laughs) And from that, so I always have a pair of boat shoes that I typically wear like in hot climates and stuff like that, you know, without the socks on the inside. They're comfortable. Are they called boat shoes? I don't know what they're called. Like the the shoes you'd wear on a boat. They're great. Great. And they're not sandals. (laughs) I should probably just be okay with wearing sandals because I don't care that much about style. 
We trudged along a forested path. The tour guide continued to regale us with interesting facts. The first was that the grounds in which the quarantine station were built belonged to the Kadigal Aboriginal people of Australia, who had used this as a site of health and wellness prior to European contact. This made me reflect about where all the Aboriginal ghosts were. These people had first come to northern Australia roughly 60,000 years ago and had been in New South Wales for approximately 40,000 years or more. As long as humans had been in Europe. In 1791, three years after Europeans arrived in the Manly Northhead area, a smallpox epidemic wiped out an estimated 90% of the Cadigal people because they had no biological resistance to European diseases. It seems to me that there should have been thousands of years worth of very angry aboriginal ghosts roaming around, not just some European settlers who rocked up in the last two centuries, yeah. I mean, of course, but that's way too logical and thinking about it way too much and too sensibly, aren't we? Because <laughs> those aboriginal, like the others, they're like, oh, what happens? Well, you died of a disease while you were going somewhere on a boat with other people with diseases. You know there was the risks. Where the Abor- aboriginal people are like, what the f- Guys, what the f- Why? Why? Greedy bastards. The guide then gave us an account of the twins, whom a colleague of his had seen on multiple occasions. These two eerie apparitions were 7 to 10 feet tall, but were composed of shimmering, silvery light. They nevertheless resembled very clear silhouettes of humans, with the outlines of their ribcages somewhat unnervingly moving back and forth, in and out of their bodies like pendulums as they stood and stared at you. Oh my god, that is fairly creepy. <laughs> Who came up with this? I mean, obviously they didn't really see a ghost. So who's like, yeah, 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 the ghosts. Uh, what do they look like? Well, uh, you know, the first person who obviously made it up is like, their rib cages came out of their body. I'd be like, dude, you need to write, you need to like write some Stephen King stuff because that is, that is an imagination. I'd be like, well, they were wearing a sheet. They had red eyes. That's all, you know, that's, that's it. Not their rib cages came out and back into their body. That is some nightmare shit, my dude. One theory went that the twins were actually just one person, the abnormally tall Dr. Reed, who was once a doctor at the station. Or maybe this particular tour guide in question was just a little pissed up and seeing double when he ran into the good doctor. A similar story came from yet another colleague of our guides. This colleague was walking down a path near the mortuary called Paranormal Alley. <laughs> oh, what's that again, David? Is that is that, that front loading? Yes? Uh, in parts of the station where supernatural energy is at its highest when he saw two ghostly apparitions walking menacingly towards him. Also, filled with foreboding, he turned around to beat a retreat, and he saw two more ghosts behind him also heading in his direction. He was trapped. This, the man sat on the ground, felt dizzy, an overpowering sense of doom, and he was violently sick. It was only when he managed to rally and leave the area that he began to feel better again. In both of these cases, which were testimonies of people who worked at the station, related to us secondhand by yet another staff member who was literally paid to creep us out, they are of dubious reliability, to say the least. Oh. I just found this is completely and utterly irrelevant. I just changed my position and found a, a sticker stuck to my leg, which I've been walking around outside all day with that leg, with that sticker stuck to my leg. <laughs> from one of my kids. Brilliant. <laughs> Thanks for the tangent fact, boy. Get back to it. So it could all just be nonsense. However, with some later research, I found out that numerous staff members swear up and down that they are true believers in ghosts, and evidently those same true believers are drawn to apply to work at the quarantine station in the first place. Yeah, although honestly, like, 
they do uh, ghost tours here in Prague where you can, you know, you, there's lots of tours you could do around the city and they all have different themes. And one of them is like, you can go to a ghost tour. And I've never done it. But it's like, yo, if I needed a job and someone was like, Simon, you got to do the ghost tour. I'll be like, okay, I got no problem with this. Like, it's fake, but I can act, you know? We'll just be like, and then during the night, blah, 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 blah. And people are like, oh my God, that's so scary. But I know, right? Ghosts are so real, Michael. They are real. Absolutely. Uh, Sorry, I don't know who Michael is. Just made him up. I always like to give people names in my stories. Like a Disneyland for kooks. So if the stories out aren't outright lies, if you are regularly seeing sh- uh, shimmering silvery twins with moving rib cages or just being bushwhacked by fast-moving specters while walking on a forest path, these aren't just incidents where you get the creeps from a bit of darkness or a bit of cold that can easily be explained away. This is either a sign of a more serious mental illness for which you might need medication or therapy, or a hallucination brought on by a neurological condition. In fact, you may want to get yourself checked out by a doctor to make sure that you don't have brain cancer or chemical poisoning. Oh, it's like this is the thing if i started seeing ghosts i would be like oh my god this is so cool i can see ghosts i'd be like oh i'm probably really sick it's either you know i'm gonna need like drugs from a psychiatrist or i've got a brain disease i mean like non-site you know like uh, a brain cancer or something like that it's either way it's not good or i'm being poisoned by something uh which probably means that my family's being poisoned as well because you know we're in the same environment all the time so that would be brilliant um that that would be my reality if i saw ghosts <laughs> i'm being serious here profoundly realistic and bizarre visual hallucinations while you are awake might mean there's something very serious and life-threateningly wrong with your health get yourself checked be safe don't just say "Ooh, ghosts tell your friends and go on with your day while a tumor that could significantly reduce your life expectancy might be growing inside your skull yes yes go see a doctor <laughs> get a brain scan be like doctor i am seeing that i know is not there and they'll be like get him to the mri machine there was a great uh i've i've mentioned this on videos not on this channel but on other channels that i've done before and i still haven't found it and people have sent me so many things trying to identify this one thing that i just desperately want to find it was on reddit years ago and it was this incredibly creepy letter that a tenant had written to a land her landlord or his landlord complaining about the upstairs neighbors being like they uh they keep banging on and it got and it goes through the letter it's like they keep banging on the floors and uh I know they're watching me because they bang on the uh, on the floor so I hear it on the ceiling of the rooms that I'm in and I'm pretty sure they've installed a camera somewhere but I can't find it blah 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 and it just gets like spine chillingly creepy like the creepiest you've ever read and uh then the top comments on Reddit was like uh, or the 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 not the title because that would have spoiled it but like under the image it was like uh, a letter written by someone with schizophrenia and you're like i'm getting chills thinking about this right now it was the craziest thing i've seen like not not being derogatory towards that person being crazy but it's like uh, a crazy thing to read like it was mind-blowing just how that just feeling because at first you're like i'm reading that thing and i'm like oh my god those neighbors are who the hell does this why would you hate someone so much to do that to them and then you get down and you're like wait something's not right here and then you realize it's all just in their head and it's like whoa 
God damn. I still remember this. If anyone knows that, put it in the comments below because I guess if you're, if you're watching this video, if not, just uh, hit me up on Twitter at Simon Whistler because God damn, I would love to find that. If I find it, I'll read it on a future episode because it is just... Uh, I am off on the... Uh, I'm off on a massive tangent. Let's get back. Mr. Slimy. We arrived at the morgue. While standing outside, a man, aged in his 20s or 30s, started to have what I would describe as a panic attack. He said he couldn't head inside the morgue. There was just too much overwhelming negativity coming from the place. I once had a panic attack. It was really intense. I was quite young. I think I must have been in my late teens or early 20s. And I just smoked too much weed. <laughs> and I was just hanging out, just like by myself. And I'm like, I just suddenly felt like not good. Like, oh my God, oh my God, something's definitely wrong. And then it just, you got in this spiral of like, something is wrong, something is wrong, something is wrong. And I'm like, just trying to get a grip of myself. Like I shut myself in the bathroom, like, like, what is going on? Am I having a heart attack? And then a few minutes later, I feel totally fine. And I've never had a panic attack again. And uh, let's just say I've not smoked that much weed again. Because <laughs> it was not a good time. The tour guide, obviously familiar with this sort of episode, was comforting him and explaining and eventually convinced him that everything would be fine and to head inside. During the man's panic attack, Alex and I happened to be standing nearby, but we said nothing and merely observed. What was interesting about it was that the man said he didn't really believe in ghosts, but that the feeling had suddenly hit him. Either this meant that he wasn't telling the whole truth or the creepy stories of the exist of the evening had taken a mental toll on him, which just goes to show how strong the power of suggestion can be on some people. Alex also wants me to mention that he could have been high or something which might have made him more quick to internalize the creepy atmosphere and have a profound reaction to it oh boy yes <laughs> yeah no no this is like all things that alter your mental state yeah like i'm pretty sure i i no i, I can't imagine myself having a panic attack unless there's a reason to be extremely panicked <laughs> like that i'll be like ah and I, like, i've never been in a situation where it's been like oh my god this is a disaster. I've always just been like, okay, let's logically deal with the problem. Like, even when shit's gone badly wrong, like in a moment, I'm usually like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Because that's just how my mind works. It's only when I've been chemically altered that it's been a problem. Sounds like this guy got super high <laughs> and went on a ghost tour, which seems like, yeah, 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 that, that, that I can imagine. That I, can, I wouldn't get super high before going on the ghost tour. Indeed, the entire tour group had something of a party vibe, so I can't rule out that some pills were popped or spliffs were smoked before uh, by some people prior to the tour. Inside the morgue, there was a table, on top of which there was a mannequin from a 1980s shop window simulating the appearance of a corpse. We filed into the room and stood around the table with our backs against the wall. There was one gap where there was a large window and no pane of glass, which would not stand... Which people would not stand in front of so in order to make room i stood in front of it my own anxieties were about spiders or snakes coming through the window or maybe a flying fox a kind of giant bat rather than a ghost i'd be like david why are you scared of spiders you're an adult man they'll be like because david lives in australia where like my wife whenever she sees a spider she doesn't like spiders she's always like will you put it outside and i never do because i know if you put the spiders outside they die so i always just take it to another room and pretend to put it out the window hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this um and i'm like why are you scared of spiders she's like, i just don't like them if we lived in australia she'd be like because they could kill me and i'd be like legitimate fear i also don't want to put this outside 
As it turns out, in phase two in the light of day, I discovered the giant window just opened into a second part of the morgue, also inside, so I needn't have worried. On top of the mannequin, the tour guide placed an EMF meter, a device the size of a TV remote used to detect abnormalities in electromagnetic fields. So if a disturbance was picked up, the green light on the EMF meter would turn red. Thus, according to paranormal investigators, a ghost was nearby. Unfortunately, scientific testing has shown that EMF meters can be set off by anything from a mobile phone to a computer mouse to power lines to car batteries to vibrating sexual aids. Who did that research? It's like, yeah, we're going to get this ghost meter and put it next to a dildo. <laughs> it's like, okay, what's up? Who? What, what research are you doing? The tour guide began to explain that cadavers were brought to the morgue for dissections, autopsies, and embalming once a disease killed them. As such, even today, the ghostly stench of rotting flesh could be smelled by witnesses standing in the morgue. I figure it was more likely a possum or a bandicoot had died in the bushes somewhere outside, or a nearby trash can was stinking in the Australian heat. The guide warned us of the local morgue poltergeist, a gentleman known only by the nickname of Mr. Slimy, who was nevertheless theorized to be a highly sexed mortician who used to hook up with nurses at night at his place of work. I'm not sure how many nurses would be fond of making out in a morgue, but whatever floats their boat, I'm not one to kink shame. The problem with Mr. Slimy, the guide explained, was that his libido did not abandon him at death. Numerous witnesses over the years claimed that Mr. Slimy had sexually assaulted them by groping their genitals, playing with their nipples, or kissing them on the mouth. Apparently, Mr. Slimy did not discriminate between men and women. Sounds like the tour guide's gayler had is the ghosts! <laughs> it's like someone touched my bottom! It was the ghosts! Ah, uh, yes. Apparently, Mr. Slimy did not discriminate between men and women. This was another interesting tactic to creep out the crowd in a whole new way and draw a particularly pronounced groan from some of the women there. No boyfriend or husband had the audacity, thankfully, of impersonating Mr. Slimy to scare their better half, but I bet it's been done over the years. Oh my god, yeah, absolutely. Just like, <laughs> to my wife, <laughs> just to be absolutely clear, be like, <laughs> yeah, that would be amusing. But I'm a child, so maybe Mr. Slimy was the reason that they left a mannequin in there. Wait, what? People filled up. <laughs> Am I missing something? Was he assaulting, sexually assaulting mannequins? People filed out of the morgue. I was one of the last people to exit. Just me, Alex, and a couple of people standing around the table, talking quietly to the tour guide. As I strode forward from the wall and passed the table on my way out, the EMF meter, which had previously been a placid green, started flashing an alarming red. The tour guide met my eyes and said, He likes something about you. It was probably a, probably a phone, something like that. In order to break the tension and pass over this awkward moment with a light-hearted joke, I said rather loudly to the unseen spectre, How about a blowjob? <laughs> David, you said you weren't going to ruin it for everyone. The ghost did not respond, and the guides, to my disappointment and shame, seemed, sli seemed slightly annoyed and upset. I felt I pushed my luck too far. It's kind of a creep. <laughs> but I like it. Just then, Alex decided to chime in and ask what a ghost... <laughs> I am going to... Let's just... Uh, I'm going to get this video demonetized if we continue down this route, David. So, uh... Definitely can't read that. <laughs> Definitely can't say that one. Okay, the postmaster and the matron. <laughs> yeah, because uh, YouTube scans videos. If you're just listening, this is a podcast. It also goes out on YouTube. YouTube scans videos for words. And if they find words they don't like, they take away your money. And they restrict it to an audience of over a certain age, which is good. 
I mean, everyone listening to this is probably over the age, you know, is an adult or teenager, I guess, anyway. So, like, 16 to 34 or 18 to 34 is my main audience and then, like, around the edges of that, typically. Um, what are we talking about? Oh, yeah. If I say some of the words that David's and Alex talk about there, <laughs> let's just say I'm not going to get paid for this video. And I like to get paid, you know? This is my work. The tour continued uphill to the post office. Here was supposed to be an evil, malevolent spirit named the Postmaster. It is speculated the actual identity of the poltergeist is Superintendent James Forsyth Vincent, who ran the choir. That is a name and a half, isn't it? Forsyth Vincent. Sounds like, uh, anyone, you know, double-barreled surnames. And I feel like, is this a difference? Because I think I made this, I've definitely made this joke before, and people are like, it's the opposite in America. Like, if you've got a double-barreled surname in the UK, you're usually a bit posh. Whereas people in the US were like, ah, if you've got a double-barreled surname, it means you live in a trailer park in the US, or something like that. And I was like, that's an interesting difference. He ran the quarantine station. Good. His wife died mysteriously of a morphine overdose. Less good. And he married a woman 24 years his junior, six months later. Well, whether that's good or not, that is, uh, a matter of opinion. William Hay, to six months, dude. You could have waited till she was cold, my man. What the fuck? William Hay, a witness to the death, also allegedly killed by the postmaster. Hay is said to have committed suicide by shooting himself twice, first in the stomach and then in the head. Uh, people are going to be like, ah, how do you shoot yourself twice? Well, one, because you shoot yourself in the stomach. You're like, oh, that's really painful. May as well shoot myself in the brain because this is, I'm just going to die. Like, getting shot in the stomach, isn't that like fam- famously a painfully, uh, painfully way, painful way to go? I don't know. An unusual method for suicide. The postmaster had him buried within 24 hours of his death. Wait, wait, wait. Is the postmaster murdering people he doesn't like, like his wife and this dude? Uh, And personally signed off on his autopsy. William Hay also became a vengeful ghost at Quarantine Station. Meanwhile, the ghost of the postmaster is said to be able to reduce people to spontaneous tears by sheer force of evil. But given how many reasons a person can have for bursting into tears, especially when impressionable and front-loaded by the ghost story, it's difficult to investigate the phenomenon without more time and a suitable group of crybaby test subjects. Alex nevertheless spent several minutes trying to provoke the ghost, calling the postmaster, and I quote, a small loser who was too stupid to know that getting a divorce was less scandalous than murdering your wife. Alex, you savage. The Phantom did not appear and smite us down despite all of Alex's come-at-me-bro taunts and insults. The only spontaneous cry that happened was from me laughing. Ah. <laughs> we then moved toward the hospital section. The guide told us on the balcony that witnesses had detected an angry male energy there, most likely from a male doctor who used to work there. So, <laughs> angry male energy sounds like incels. <laughs> Nobody in the group detected anything. We moved inside the hospital wing to where there were two main rooms filled with hospital beds. In the first room, we were told that was a benevolent spirit and we were asked if we felt a warm aura of kindness in the room. A few front-loaded people muttered agreement. In the second room, we were told that it was inhabited by the matron, the ghost of a head nurse and the most formidable entity in the quarantine station. We were asked if anyone noticed the energy of the second room was drastically more evil. Led by the nose, some people agreed. The matron could overpower you with negative energy if you represented even the slightest disorder to her tightly run hospital ward. At the back of the group, Alex immediately began rustling and messing up the sheets on one of the hospital beds. Nothing happened. 
Shocking. <laughs> the only thing of note to occur was a girl laid down on one of the hospital beds while the guide talked. She later complained that she couldn't breathe properly, which the guide speculated because people had died of tuberculosis and Spanish influenza in those beds. Unless there were still traces of the disease on the bedsheet centuries later, I suspect it was most likely hyperventilation and an active imagination. I had also sat down on one of the beds and had noticed no such disturbance. Why are you sitting down on the beds? I'll be like, I'm on some ghost door in some abandoned hospital with like sheets that are a hundred years old and we like used for like plague victims. I'll be like, yeah, hard pass. I mean, I might be a little bit drunk, moving into a little bit hungover, but uh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna lean against this wall. <laughs> that sounds better. The Gravedigger's Cottage. Which brings us to the climax of the tour. The last stop, the so-called Gravedigger's Cottage, located between two grave sites. Despite the name, a gravedigger never actually lived there. Instead, the cottage was periodically inhabited by doctors who were said to have conducted sick and perverted experiments on women and children. One woman is said to have committed suicide in the bathtub at the back of the cottage, which is reputedly its most haunted room. Wait, I mean, like, the doctor's doing experiments and Like, yes has absolutely happened in history but did it really happen at a place where they were just quarantining people as they go into a country it doesn't seem like you know well at some point they're going to be released it's not like this is a death camp where they're just going to be murdered it's like well people there's there's a roster and a register and these people are just coming to australia it seems a little bit less likely than you know it happening at a death camp the cottage itself is said to be inhabited by a powerful ghost named sam i feel like sam is the like least ghostly name Oh yes, Sam the ghost. All right. <laughs> he sounds friendly. Of unverified origin or identity, the tour guides there all pay him a great deal of respect. Prior to entering the cottage, the guides always knock and ask Sam permission to enter. It's a great way to ramp up the tension. It's also a little bit cringe, isn't it? This is a, it, this whole thing's a little bit cringe, isn't it? Apparently, Sam was okay letting people inside today. I do wonder if, for believability and consistency, guides sometimes pretended that Sam was angry and packed paying customers on their way before they could look around. Sounds like if this is the last stop on the tour. It's like, yeah, yeah, what's the time? 10 o'clock? <clears throat> Seems Sam's angry today, and uh, I want to catch the last bus, to- bus home. Somehow I doubt it, but certainly it paid not to make Sam angry. A few years ago, a video went semi-viral in the Australian media when a German medium pretended to be pushed by Sam into an adjoining room. The woman then claimed to have received a bruise from Sam on her elbow. The footage, if you can find it, shows a rather portly woman looking at the camera to make sure that it was pointed at her, then comically flinging herself into another room out of sight of the camera. If Sam was truly responsible for this, I am comforted to know that we share the same opinion of mediums. I think it is a little messed up that some people think it's okay to take money by lying about talking to grieving people's deceased relatives. Yeah, mediums are pieces of sh**. Because you know it's fake. You're doing cold reading. Like, you're just looking up on, like, psychological hints that people are giving away. And uh, then you're manipulating them into thinking that you're talking to their dead relatives. You know it's fake. You know it's fake because you're faking it so you're kind of just a fraud aren't you should, kind of feels like it should be illegal doesn't it doesn't it because it's exploitative and it makes you a piece of shit. uh numerous ph- phenomenon have been noted at the gravedigger's cottage voices moving furniture randomly opening cabinets or cabinets that refuse to open sounds of crying screams strange lights being emitted from the windows late at night when nobody's there the tour guide sent us inside gave us a little talk and then told us we were going to wait outside because the energy of the building was just too overwhelming 
Later, with research, I found that all tour guides are instructed to do this a perfect tactic. Not only is it too much for our guide, but we are left alone in the darkness to wander an extremely haunted location with a ghost that might harm us. If ghosts were real, this would be a legal minefield. <laughs> yes. Alex and I immediately set about our business. Alex seemed to be thoroughly absorbed by uttering obscenities at ghosts, so I didn't interrupt her. Meanwhile, I quickly looked inside multiple cabinets to see what was inside. At one point, I found myself reflecting that it was actually quite a nice traditional Australian cabin, and I told Alex I would love to have one like this at the edge of the woods. Alex snorted and said, This place is a hole. <laughs> David, are you smoking crack? David, this place is a dump. You want to live here, David? Get some taste. Looking at the old furniture, rotary dial phone, and rickety brass-framed beds, I admitted that it certainly would be creepy to sleep all night in this place alone, at least not without a couple of lights and a nice show on the telly. May I recommend streaming a nice relaxing podcast by Simon Whistler? Yes. Although don't stream my Casual Criminalist podcast where you're staying alone in a cabin in the woods. I'll scare the s*** out of you and you will become convinced that you're going to be on the podcast in the future. I was going to say if you're feeling that right now, then, uh, but this isn't the Casual Criminalist podcast. That is another podcast I do, which you should absolutely subscribe to as well. Because I would say that, wouldn't I? If you don't, my ghost is going to come and haunt you. Alex and I then head into the bathroom, which was indeed a bit run down. We walked up to the bathtub and stared inside its empty contents. We did not see the specter of a woman who killed herself. Nevertheless, Alex said, Get out of there, lady! Wait, sorry. Get out of there, lady! Australian. This is an Australian accent. It's a terrible one. I'm not. Shall I try it? I'm going to try it. Get out of there, lady. You get all pruney. Come back with us. We'll have a drink. God, I'm so terrible at accents. I really need to work on that or just not do them. Let's just not do them. That's an easier task. There was no reply. Meanwhile, a girlfriend and boyfriend had followed us into the bathroom. The girl said, It's so creepy in here, mate. They, uh, I just added the mate to make it sound more Australian. Oh, they're tourists, though. They could be just from somewhere else. And turned around the door to the, to the door to leave again. She then let out a massive blood-curdling scream directly in front of her. She watched a cabinet open, seemingly on its own. Her boyfriend gripped her in his arms. They both seemed rooted to the spot. I, meanwhile, in a flash, knew what had happened. When I'd looked through the same cabinet a few minutes earlier, I'd struggled with the latch at the top that held both doors shut. It was an old-fashioned latch, and it was dark, and I was admittedly still slightly drunk. <laughs> yes, you had many bottles of wine. <laughs> so the thing had merely come free and scared the life out of this poor girl in the dark. I quickly moved past the couple, marched to the cabinet, and slammed the doors shut as half the tour group looked on. I then turned to the girl and said, it's going to be all right. Nothing to worry about here. The tour guide, meanwhile, came in, inquired what had happened, and spent a few minutes calming the girl down on the porch. Shortly thereafter, we all piled into a shuttle and, previously ignored, I got the nu- a number of backstabs and compliments on my bravery, as if I had swaggered up and done something heroic instead of simply closing a cabinet. I had mucked up the first time, all of which Alex thought was hilarious. <laughs> be like, nah, you're right. I'll just be like, yeah, I'm a hero. <laughs> Absolutely a hero buy me a beer. But at least we had given other members of the tour group their money's worth without spoiling their fun. I didn't mention the cause of this paranormal activity to anyone. It just seemed like telling a child that the tooth fairy wasn't real. Ah, David. (laughs) Decoding the unknown is basically, it could be called, telling children the tooth fairy is not real, couldn't it? Monkeys in Shoes The tooth fairy really strikes to the core of things. When we are children, the ghosts and goblins we fear in the dark seem all too real, to an extreme degree. I remember being deathly fearful for years as a young lad of an oddly shaped chest of drawers in my bedroom. 
I had nightmares about this chest of drawers coming to life and dragging me into the basement where the furnace would eat me. <laughs> God damn, David. No wonder you're a writer. Your imagination is extremely active. I was just like, it's a weird looking chest of drawers. That's a furnace. <laughs> a very boring child even at a young age we draw conclusions about natural phenomena but our young minds often draw the wrong conclusions humans are pattern seeking creatures we are evolved to find patterns in things and this in turn helps us to invent to adapt and to survive it is a power that makes us extremely successful as a species and has taken us from stone tools to skyscrapers in just a few thousand years but occasionally the wires get crossed we see patterns that aren't really there or we don't see the full picture the wheels and gears behind the illusion three thousand years ago thunder and lightning might be seen as the rage of an angry god less than 300 years ago the death of some livestock might seem like the work of devil worshiping witches and the bumps we hear in the night might be attributed to ghosts when all it is all it ever is is our powerful human imaginations running rampant and our instinct toward pattern-seeking working overtime with limited information or misinformation. We must recognize with some humility that we are just apes, intellectually the same as we were a hundred thousand years ago, just with more knowledge and more stuff. Or to put it more glibly, we're just monkeys in shoes. As for Alex and I, we recovered from our hangovers the next day. We decided not to write a paper. We did, however, go back to enact phase two and came to some pretty solid empirical conclusions about our experience. We mused that it was a unique idea for a TV show for two skeptics to wander around haunted houses drunk, taking the piss out of ghosts and urban myths, then returning the next day to investigate the paranormal activity we provoked. So, if anyone steals this idea, you owe us royalties. Anyway, my fellow apes, sweet dreams and sleep tight. Thank you, David. This was very enjoyable. I hope who are you out there listening you enjoyed this. I don't know. This show is just an excuse for me to read interesting stuff. <laughs> but people watch it, which I love, or they listen to it as a podcast. If you are watching this, make sure you have smashed that subscribe button so you find out about all our new shows. Although obviously that doesn't work because YouTube is YouTube. Look, if you watch to the end, you're probably going to see more of this show because that is how YouTube works. Uh, if you're listening as a podcast, thank you so much. Please consider leaving a review. If you want to make it five stars, that's brilliant. If you want to make it one star, <laughs> Simon made a show about ghosts and all he does is make fun of ghosts. One stars. Ghosts are real. Go for it. That's okay. I don't mind. It just hurts my feelings. That so it doesn't... <laughs> That's it. That's all I got. Thanks for listening or watching, and I'll see you next time to Decode the Unknown. I just made that ending up right now. Not bad, right? Not bad. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.